Welcome to Talking Property, where you get the inside information into what's going on in the Australian and Asian property markets from leading property and investment experts. Welcome to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property podcast. I'm Nelson Yap, editor and publisher of Australian Property Journal. My guest today is David Utschun. He is the State Director in New South Wales for MaxCap Group. Welcome, David. Thank you, Nelson. How are you? Good, thank you. David, tell us a bit about yourself, how you got into the industry and your role at MaxCap. Yeah, sure. So um, I uh, I studied finance at university uh, and I ended up um, on the graduate program for one of the major banks. And to be perfectly honest, I've sort of stayed in it all the way um, from then. I spent a little bit of time overseas with a, a major bank in London and then returned to Australia and um, was primarily again in, in the major banks here and, and sort of started specializing in in real estate finance and then more recently over the last couple of years um, you know obviously the market had, had changed quite a lit quite a bit and uh, you know the the prevalence of the non-banks uh, was becoming you know more and more uh, a major part of the marketplace here so the opportunity arose to to make that change from um, the traditional bank lenders into the non-bank space and, and max cap for me, presented a great opportunity, particularly in the New South Wales business. It was a, a business that um, I could see a lot of potential in and, and you know, a, a market that I think um, there's a huge amount of growth for us here. So it's, it was an exciting opportunity for me to to head up the New South Wales team for MaxCap and something that I'm definitely enjoying. That's the other thing you touched upon, which is the growth of non-bank in the non-bank lending space. Um what has that been like for MaxCap, that growth, particularly in New South Wales, and also, you know, your partnership with Apollo Global Management? What does that mean for the business? Yeah, I think you kind of got to go back a few years to sort of post-GFC. Mm. I mean, there's always been a bit of a non-bank market in Australia, but it was always very small. Um, you know, I'm talking about real estate lending here. It was always very much dominated by the major banks. And sort of post-GFC and, and capital requirements that were imposed on banks, uh, there, there really was that opportunity created where non-bank lenders like MaxCap were able to, to take um, far more market share. And, and particularly in construction finance, I think, was where the initial focus was and that's sort of evolving over time. Um, but the business has grown considerably. MaxCap has been around 15 or 16 years now and, and has gone from very humble beginnings to, to now be you know, over $5 billion under management, a lot of institutional capital uh, supporting our business. And um, over the last couple of years, it, it has been a national business, but it's certainly been, you know, very much Melbourne-led. Uh, I think you'd say that was always our our biggest market and our, and our most mature part of the business. And, and New South Wales, um, you know, we've had a presence here for a number of years, but it's only been quite recently that we've really strategically invested in it and uh, have seen have seen the opportunity to, to grow significantly in, in New South Wales and and that's something that we're we're doing now and we're very focused on and, and it's um, you know it's proving quite successful we've done a lot of transactions in the last 12 or 18 months in, in New South Wales and you touched on our our partnership with Apollo too and and I think that's that's incredibly exciting for the industry and it's incredibly exciting for Maxcap Apollo are one of the largest real estate uh, lenders globally, and uh, it's a huge endorsement of MaxCap. I think to have Apollo partner with us, and that'll certainly allow us to grow um, significantly, both here in New South Wales and and nationally. Now, you said earlier, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, the non-bank lending space was 
just sort of beginning and and um, now I want to look at the banks versus non-banks and what's happening in the sector now. Yeah, sure. I mean, the banks, look, there'll always be a place for the banks um, and I don't think we'll ever really um, get to a point where we're competing head to head. Um, but but certainly I think for the, for the asset classes that... Uh, that use a lot of balance sheet, they use a lot of capital and, and really it's sort of real estate and, and infrastructure. I don't think the banks are the right natural home for those businesses, to be honest. I think, um, you know, the banks now with the regulation that's imposed on them, uh, it, it's very difficult for them to to use their balance sheet in the way that they, they used to. And those asset classes lend themselves more to institutional capital like super funds or, or, or pension funds, um, whether they be local or, or offshore. Um, and really, that's that's been part of the reason I think that we've seen this growth in in the non-bank marketplace. Um, as I said at the start, there, there'll always be a place for the banks, and and I think we've now got to that sort of equilibrium where those lower risk, lower yielding transactions, you know, are, are a good place, um, are well placed in the banks. And any transaction that that you know has a little bit more edge to it or, or a little bit more structure required, I think that now is is well suited to the to the well established non-bank space. And now looking at this state that you work in, which is New South Wales, given all that's happening right now, um, our audience would be keen to hear what is the outlook for residential construction in Sydney over the next 12 to 18, oh, sorry, 12 to 24 months? Sure. Yeah, I, look, mm. I think there's I think there's a lot of opportunity um, for me as, as a financier because I see a lot of development yeah. happening in, in New South Wales and particularly Sydney um, over that period of time. I, I think... You know, we've seen a real run on, on house prices um, over the last couple of years and, and we haven't seen the same sort of growth in apartment prices. So there's now quite a gap that's emerged between houses and, and, and apartments. And, and I think that naturally starts to pull on apartments. So I think we're going to see some some increasing prices in, a, in apartments over the next couple of years. And, and naturally that will bring developers um, into the market. Um, I, I think we're still undersupplied broadly. I think, you know, there is challenges with planning. Uh, in New South Wales and particularly Sydney, and and whenever we've got supply side challenges, there's there's always going to be demand for products. So um, you know, th- there's a lot of confidence I feel in the marketplace and and the clients that I'm talking to 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 launch new projects. Um, and I think too, there's other markets that are, that I that I feel quite strong about as well. I think Newcastle in particular, we're seeing a lot of development up there and and a lot of growth. I think Canberra. There's been some fantastic um, developments done uh, down there over the last couple of years and. And I think we'll also see the emergence of, of the Wollongong um, region as well and, and sort of into Shell Harbour and Shell Cove and, and areas like that. So, look, I, I think there's um, there's a lot to like about about um, the New South Wales market in uh, in the property development space over the next couple of years. Definitely. I, you, you touched upon population growth and we know that that has slowed because we haven't had the migration coming in, skilled migration over the past two years. Um, so in a way that's helped uh, supply sort of, you know, not, not get out of control with the supply and demand side. Um, but what will happen if, you know, when the when the borders eventually, well, the borders are reopened, but what will happen when we have the migration return? Um, will that put more pressure on the existing prices and existing, you know, demand for, uh, for housing? Yeah, I, I think it definitely will. I think without an increase mm. in supply, um, we are going to see we are going to see challenges with with housing affordability both in apartments and and in freestanding houses for exactly that reason. I think 
COVID has been a challenging period of time. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, what it, yeah. it perhaps did do, as, as you pointed out, Nelson, it sort of tempered that supply-demand gap for, for a little while. But as soon as we do see, you know, that migration increase, and I think that is something that the government mm. will, will have to look at, you know, even fast-tracking a little bit on the migration side to to find our way out of the, the last couple of years of COVID, I think that is going to put in incredible pressure on the on the housing supply. So it is something that we need to tackle. Uh, I think the, the finance market is there. I think the, the developers are there. I, I really think it comes back to sort of the planning and the approval process that, um, you know, is potentially the limiting factor. And you also talked about the gap between house prices and apartment prices uh, over the past few years, what has been the major contributing factor to that, or the you know number of contributing factors? Can you identify? It's it's a good question. Um, mm. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. I some of the prices that you see for houses are you, you know you struggle to get your head around. Outrageous. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, <laughs> it's the same in Melbourne as well. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really challenging sometimes to understand uh, just how how these. Um, purchases are affording what they are affording um mm. so i don't know it's been an interesting one i mean i think there's there's so many sort of sub pockets to that you know there's um you've got your house and land packages that are a little bit more sort of out of suburban that's a very different market to your to your inner um detached housing and and the same goes for the apartment stock you've got your, your premium stuff your your um you know lower price point stock as well it's it's a challenging one to touch on but it certainly is is something mm. that we've seen and and i and for that reason, I, I do think we'll see sort of growth in apartments, maybe not least because houses just are unaffordable and they just cannot continue to go. So I think you get to a point where the average person says, well, I need to switch my focus to apartments because that detached house is, is no longer something that, that's achievable. And obviously we've had a lot of things happen in, in the it's property space just in the, you know, the recent couple of weeks in light of, you know, the collapse of um ProBuild and Condev. Um, so the challenge for the property industry now, I think, you know, moving to construction costs is that the co- they're escalating um, and they're rising rapidly. I, I looked at um, the Australian Bureau of Statistics and the, 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 there's no latest data yet, but the data from the December quarter was that producer prices increased by 1.3% and the major costs were building materials, steel, oil, labour costs. Um, I think I got statistics. Sorry, I'm just looking at the statistics. And the in the UK, 11 out of 12 months, building materials have risen. Um, in Canada, 22 out of 26 building materials have risen by more than 20%. And in the US, 9 out of 15 materials over have risen by 20% and 4 by 50%. So that, that's, you know, we don't have, we haven't seen, uh, we haven't seen the statistics coming yet for Australia, but what is the outlook for construction prices for Australia? Yeah, look, it, it is a problem and it is something, you know, mm. that we're watching closely. I think it, it really stems back to COVID and, and um, you know, we, we basically almost shut down the world in terms of production and logistics and, and the supply chain. So that clearly has led to an increase in, in prices for um for uh, materials and, and also the, the logistics of getting those materials on the site. Um, and, and that's another point, actually, that has constrained the supply of apartments a little bit. And we talked a little bit about, you know, planning being a major issue. I think that the cost of construction is also something that that prevents developments getting off the ground. So, look, I, I think it, it has been a problem for a little while. I think, um, you know, it's difficult to say. No one has a crystal ball. But but I think maybe, hopefully, we're sort of reaching the end of that, that continual increase. 
and and maybe we get a little bit of a, a static position for a little while. I don't see it dropping um, anytime soon, as much as I think we'd, we'd all like to. Um, so it's one to watch. Yeah, you, you, you're right. We had you know a bill to go down in Melbourne recently. We've had a bill to go down in, in, in Queensland recently, and it's 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 tough. It's a tough sector to be in. I mean, it's something that we're watching closely. New South Wales is it's a little bit of a different market. Um, you know, there's a lot more owner builders in in New South Wales, which is a slightly different um, business model. So, um, you know, every every market is slightly different, but it is it is certainly something to keep an eye on. MaxCap Group is one of Australia's leading commercial real estate financiers. Since inception in 2007, they have originated and managed $14.5 billion across more than 490 investments spanning all real estate sectors and across the full capital stack. You talked about the different markets in New South Wales and uh, uh, compared to Vic. What... um in, for New South Wales builders or construction companies, what are the challenges for them in that in that sense? That's different from a, a Victorian or a Queensland developer. Oh, sorry, builder. Look, I think a lot of the challenges are the same. Um, you know, it, it, material costs we've talked about. Um, you know, tight margins is, is something as well that's challenging. I think the fact that uh, New South Wales, you know, does have a lot of uh, owner builders. I think. It, you know, it's potentially an advantage because it's not so much about the margin on the on the construction piece. There's there's other built-in margin with the development as well. So I think that's potentially advantageous to to some builders. And I think you know there's also a lot of government and infrastructure work uh, in in New South Wales as well. So you know to the extent that that those builders have uh, the ability to pivot and 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 move more towards that sort of government infrastructure work, I think that certainly um, perhaps insulates them as well. So. Look, it, it'll be one to watch. Um, there's no doubt about that. We'll we'll have to keep a close eye on things. That's that's a big part of what we do. If we're financing construction projects, then then looking at um, the strength of the builder is is obviously very important. And we talked about the uh, the apartment uh, sort of you know the gap between apartment and house prices, and also you know the lack of apartment uh, developments. And the sector that everyone's talking about right now, or has been talking about for the past few years now, is the um, build to rent market our build to rent sector um we actually recently just had the government house of representatives standing committee on tax and revenue um report come out and they said that the current regulations uh and tax is holding back the build to rent sector um and i think one of the the report said also that the build to rent housing will provide consumers with more choice and has the potential to increase security of tenure now like Theoretically, that makes sense for a place like Sydney, where um, you know affordability is a is a, a big issue, um, and therefore, you know, you would think that would be increasing the demand for rental property, um, but it doesn't stack up because of the high land values. Um, why? Why is it? What's making built to rent uh, feasibility difficult in New South Wales? I actually think you've summed it up perfectly. I think on on the demand side, <laughs> the demand side makes perfect sense in Sydney. You know, we need more housing stock. Mm. We need more rental stock to tackle, you know, some of the affordability issues that we're dealing with. It's the supply side that, that makes it challenging. And, and you've hit on the, the two key points there. One is is land values and just making it work um, versus a, a build-to-sell development or, or a different type of competing development, whether it be office or something different. Um, that makes it more and more challenging. Uh, and, and the tax regime, I, I think, you know, what's made build to rent or multifamily or, or whatever name you want to go by work in, in other major markets has been some concessional tax regimes. And, 
whether that's land tax or GST or, or, or interest withholding tax for offshore investors, whether it's a, a specific zoning or a fast track approval process, we, we need some sort of government intervention, I think, to kickstart this sector. I, I think we, we desperately need this sector in Australia. Um, you know, and, and I'm talking about sort of, you know, large scale, widespread institutional ownership of residential buildings. Um, I think that's, again, you look at other mature markets that there's, there's a huge, um, it's a huge component of the market. And, and I think we need it. You know, I touched on the supply side, uh, sorry, the demand side. We need it for people to have, you know, better quality rental accommodation, to have a lot more choice, to have security of tenure. And, and we, we need it from the capital side as well. You know, we, we've got a lot of pension money in this country that needs additional diversification and different sectors to invest in. And this is a, this is a sector that historically, if you look at those other more mature markets, has extremely low volatility and, and very high occupancy rates. It's, it's a very, it's a very safe investment for that institutional capital. So there's a number of reasons, I think, why we need it. It's, it's, it's mm. the government intervention, I think, that is the last piece of the puzzle. Absolutely. I think looking into, you know, uh, the US where multifamily, it's called multifamily, it's the largest, I believe, the largest asset class, uh, investment asset class. Um, mm. So, you know, it, they can't, it, it can't be something that they're doing wrong if it's the largest investment asset class outstripping office, retail and all those things. Um, and in the UK, uh, once the government sort of, you know, gave its backing, the sector just, uh, I suppose, uh, it, exploded is the word to, to put it. Um, so we're just at that precipice um, of making built-to-rent work. And um, if we're going to bring in also migration, we're going to have to house people. So <laughs> we need to find solutions to house people. Otherwise, affordability will continue to be an issue for a lot of people. Mm. Um, now, another topic that's on everyone's mind and you know, we've been talking about it is interest rates and inflation and what will happen um, this year and or, or in the next 24 months. Um, can you talk us through uh, that? Sure. Look, I think inflation is definitely something to watch. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of money pumped in the economy for, for many years now. We've had record low rates. We've had house prices increasing. Um, we're now starting to see some wage growth that we haven't seen for a long time because the labour market is, is now constrained, which is sort of linking back to a, a COVID thing. Uh, but I, but I don't think it's as easy as raising rates. I mean, traditionally, inflation starts to run, you raise rates, and you know it sort of balances itself out. I, I I don't think it's that simple. And in fact, I don't think the government necessarily has that lever anymore. I think, unfortunately, we've found ourselves in a situation where you know the average consumer is is sort of so levered, and uh, interest rates will have such an impact on on the overall economy. Um, that it would be difficult for the government to raise rates in a meaningful way anyway, I think, without putting a significant amount of, of, of stress um, into the economy. And, and I think also inflation, I think it's just as much a supply side issue at the moment as demand. I think it's, and a lot of that's due to COVID. You know, we, we talked a little bit before on the construction costs and logistics and material costs because the that's world right. has effectively yeah, been shut down. Producer. Yeah, that's right. I, I think mm. that's actually just as much to blame now for rising prices as the demand side, which is the, the cheap money and the low interest rates, you know, making the consumer buy more. So I don't think it's as simple as just working on something on the on the demand side without, you know, trying to solve the the supply cause of inflation here as well. And that's a that's a much more challenging one. Um, unfortunately, it's just a matter of probably getting the world going again before we see 
the cost of freight come down, the cost of materials come down? Well, I think um, I was reading just because I follow a lot of the freight uh, news and things like that, and um, they're expecting the higher oil prices to feed into logistics soon. Um, and we're going to, and, and also China is continuing to pursue its um, its COVID pol- COVID zero policy. So that's you know going to hamper supply chains. So that is all those all these two major factors are now sort of contributing to uh, the inflation side well, of yes, raising prices. Well, I mean, one of the biggest things there is is oil and petrol, and you know we've got a we've got a conflict in in Europe now that has implications for. Um, for, for gas and oil prices globally, so and 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 petrol, you know, we all see it daily um, as a consumer. But you're right; it does feed into all those logistics costs as well. So that that's a that's a huge challenge right now. Mm. And now turning to the office sector, I lo- you know, it to what uh, twelve months ago, <laughs> people yep. called it the death of the office sector. It was a early; it's not dead. It's um. Premature, that one was the prediction. Yeah. Um, but obviously, COVID has accelerated a lot of the things that we've seen in the sector, which is that uh, more demand for flex work. Um, I don't think you know there's more demand for working from home. Let's face it; we've seen cafes in the shopping strips more active. People want to get out of their houses. They don't want to you know want to just work at the ha- in their houses all the time. Um, so there's more demand now for flex work. Uh, and offices in in metro areas, not just CBD. So, what are what? How sustainable is this? You know, COVID trend. Is it a trend, or is it something that's structural uh, that we're witnessing I, look, in the I, office sector? I, I think it's a little bit more temporary. Um, I, I definitely mm-hmm. don't think the office is dead. Um, mm. You know, trying to get a coffee at the in the lobby of the office um, here in Sydney in the last few <laughs> days has been extremely challenging just with the queue. So there's there's a lot of people in the office um, mm-hmm. and and you sort of touched on it there that I think COVID has kind of accelerated some of the change that was happening to office anyway with a little bit more flex and um, with just the way we, we interact or, or asset owners interact with tenants around expansion and contraction space or, or flex space with, like you said, some suburban offices that maybe are a little bit closer to home and maybe it's not just all to the CBD, but it's still leaving the house and going to a communal space to work in a collaborative fashion i i I just don't see that changing um and and i think in fact over the course of the next six months we'll actually see some big businesses uh, get to the point where they where they say to their employees okay you know enough's enough it's it's time to be back in the office now um so i i really do think we'll we will return and recover 80 to 90 to 90 percent of the the, the the shift, if you like, that occurred over the last um, two years. It, I don't think it'll get right back to where it was two years ago because, yes, it has accelerated some of the change, but we'll certainly get pretty close to where we were, I think. MaxCap Group is one of Australia's leading commercial real estate financiers. Since inception in 2007, they have originated and managed $14.5 billion across more than 490 investments spanning all real estate sectors and across the full capital stack. Now, just sort of rounding back to um, New South Wales, um, I was thinking with where you are sitting, um, where's the demand for developers coming from now in the year ahead? Um, do they want to start more developments in residential space, offices, retail, industrial? Where's that coming from? 
Yeah, look, I'd say it's 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 residential um, first and foremost. We are seeing you know a lot of projects get started and, and a lot of uh, inquiry in that space. We're, we're certainly seeing some office um, developments, which is which is interesting, and I think just underlines the points that I was making previously about the fact that that that's not dead, and we're seeing um, a lot of investors have the confidence to to start their office developments without pre-committed tenants. And really, you know, sort of face into the market there, and 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 be confident that they'll lease their space up. So I think that's a really positive sign. And we're seeing a lot of, of opportunity in the office space. And, and the other one that I think is that for CBD. Sorry, is that for CBD offices or or across? Look, it's it's yeah. Look, it's a little bit of both. It's yeah, it's a little bit of both. I mean, specifically to Sydney, we've, we've seen some opportunities in the CBD. There's some opportunity in North Sydney. There's Parramatta, and, and then there's you know your more perhaps suburban locations like, you know, perhaps Surrey Hills or certainly, um, you know, s- southern Sydney around Alexandria and Mascot. There's some, there's some transactions down there as well. Um, so that's been quite interesting in, in the office space. And then the other the other sector that I was perhaps a little surprised by is, is we're seeing a lot of inquiry around hotels um, and, and hotel development. Um, and, I, and I think, again, that's confidence in, in the fact that that market you know, should and, and will come back now that we're hopefully out of the worst of, of the COVID situation and the borders open again. And, and you know, that that's a market that it does kind of make sense when, you know, when you look at the supply demand dynamic and putting COVID to one side, you know, new construction in that space sort of does make sense, I think. So there's been, um, there's been a number of projects that have, that have been launched or about to be launched um, in the hotel space. And, and I think that's quite interesting as well. And where are we looking at these projects? Uh, it's just Sydney, centralised in Sydney, or is is it spreading all over? Uh, yeah, look, it's look. There's there's some projects in Parramatta. There's some projects in 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 Sydney. Um, you know, there's some sort of smaller boutique projects in in um, you know Canberra, Newcastle, Wollongong. I touched on some of those markets before, so it's 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 fairly evenly spread, I'd say. Yeah, well, I think just today we featured a news that the Marriott uh, is bringing their Marriott's executive apartments uh, development to Melbourne. So, um, which is you know a first. Yeah, so I think there's that de- on as you mentioned, there's that confidence is returning to the hotel sector um, from uh, just the developers, not just the developers, but also from the operators of these hotels that they're expecting the market to bounce back. Um, you know, once now that the borders are open, um, what about? Uh, obviously, we all know everyone wants to get into industrial right now. But what about retail uh, from um, financing and developer demand? Yeah, look, pretty thin, I'd say. I mean, re- mm. retail is is the one that perhaps has some some greater challenges, um, and and that's another one I think where you could use the phrase that COVID has accelerated change that, that sort of was already happening. Um, but again, I don't think the shopping centre is dead. I think people still want to go out and, and, and browse and, and touch and feel products. But there's no doubt that there's been a huge shift to to online purchasing, and, and um, that's led to the to the uh, part of the industrial boom as well with last mile delivery and logistics warehouses and things like that. Um, I, I wouldn't say you know we're seeing as much confidence in the retail space as some of those other sectors. Um, there's still definitely some some caution there. Um, you know, I think there's a little bit more more pain and, and a little bit of a longer term recovery in, in that space, and you know that potentially creates opportunity. And and for for lenders like MaxCap that perhaps have a little bit more risk appetite and, and can see through some challenges, then that certainly creates some opportunities where I think banks are really quite conservative on on retail. 
um, at the moment, certainly on on discretionary retail, on fashion and the like. I think if it's more essential goods, that's that's sort of a different category. Um, but that's one, again, I think we, we will need to just have a cautious approach over the next year or two for sure. And um, obviously now I'm going to go into industrial. I've saved it the best for last. Um, now, it's, uh, we've had various reports that land is running out in Sydney for industrial, um, and you, you've got you've got competing demands from logistics and now data or, or data centres. Uh, operators also want Sydney as well. Um, so, what's happening in that space? Um, from you know, is it are we going to have to or Sydney is going to have to see uh, vertical industrial? Is that coming? Yeah, I think it is. I think there is uh, multi-level industrial coming. I'm aware of one um, mooted project, so I don't think it'll be too long before we, we do see that. And that, that'll be more the inner city sort of last mile logistics kind of industrial rather than your traditional, you know, outer suburban heavy type of industrial. Um, industrials are really, it's, it's a tricky one. I mean, on prime industrial now, we're seeing yields at 3% mark and, and that I, I struggle to get my head around that, if I'm honest. That, That's that, really tight. Mm, yeah, <laughs> it is extremely tight. And and look, in certain mm-hmm. circumstances, if it's a brand new lease to Coles or a Woolworths distribution centre, that's that's a proxy for a, a West Farmers bond. I, I can perhaps understand it, but there are uh, a lot of industrial assets that are, that are trading that are possibly secondary assets that are trading at that sort of that sort of yield, and I think that is a little bit of a concern. But then there are other markets within industrial. That, that I am quite bullish on and, and that might be the, the smaller strata industrial warehouse or, or just, you know, smaller industrial land subdivisions, I think is something that, that's quite interesting and that's a, a strategy that MaxCap's pursued uh, a little bit. But, but the, the larger industrial, um, look, it's, it's really dominated by the listed players now. That, that's a very institutional asset class now. Mm. It is. It's become that way. Um, we just now see not just um, local players, but the international groups too, uh, like GIC and and all those, and ESR coming into and just buying in big bulk portfolios. Look, I think I think just 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 touching on that, Nelson. I think you know the, the Sydney Airport, the new Sydney Airport is is you know I guess it, it's to talk about industrial in Sydney and not mention that is is something that. Um, you know, would be remiss of me. I think that that's going to be quite interesting to see how that plays out. A lot of the institutional players have already bought up a lot of the land around um, the new Sydney airport. So that's something that'll be quite interesting. There'll be a significant amount of development and 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 primarily focused, I think, on industrial around that airport over the next five or six years. Um, there's also the Moorbank intermodal terminal, which is another big um, sort of industrial play here in in New South Wales. And so, so there's certainly a lot of industrial development still to come, but yeah, it's it, it's a challenging sector in in some respects. I think just due to the to the yields that are being paid now, and I think you know if we do see a rise in interest rates, then those yields they just have to come under pressure. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, it, there's no de- denying or there's no doubt that industrial demand will continue to grow because obviously it will follow with the population. People are just going to demand more, and as we shop more online and all these things as well. So. Um, yeah, it's just a matter of what happens with uh, the amount of money that institutions are continually pouring into the sector, um, what that will do for yields and pricing yeah. um, going ahead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, thank you very much, David. Uh, that was a very insightful conversation. Uh, um, thank you for joining me for Australian Property Journal's Talking Property Podcast. Thanks, Nelson. My pleasure.